When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Aaron. Hey there, you two. <laughs> hey, heroes. And we got, we got it. it. We did we got it. it. First day. We got One day. Right, everybody. Good job. Professionals. We are within brand guidelines. Everyone stop we have recording. Reviewed. Yep, yep. Wrapping it up. We're <laughs> good. Reviewed the branding packet. <laughs> Got it one. Well done. Well done, everybody. Uh, everyone, welcome to All My Fantasy Skyjacks, a, a, a marriage between uh, Campaign Skyjacks, one of the best actual play podcasts out there, the world with, with one of the most fun settings, uh, with the coolest ideas and, and best players, and all all my fantasy children. None of those. The things. best. <laughs> the best world building and storytelling podcast out there in the world. Yes. Uh, this, there's so much power in this room right now. A term that I use loosely is no one is in the same room. Oh. And you are about to experience all of that. Uh, but first, I, I, I want to go around, make sure you know uh, all the personalities and voices you're going to be hearing today. First up, we have Aaron Catano Saez. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Catano Saez. I am co-creator of All My Fantasy Children podcast. You may also know me. I play CC on Skyjack's Courier's Call. Boom. Um, uh, next up, we have Jeff Stormer. Hello, everyone. My name is Jeff Stormer. I am a podcaster, game designer, and the unofficial official LARP designer of the Olive Garden Restaurant. But most importantly, I am the other co-host of All My Fantasy Children, a podcast that is good sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, damn. And I will... <laughs> I will I will point out because we are doing uh a, what is something akin to a plug section uh that Jeff also hosts the Party of One podcast which is not on the One Shot network but is extremely good it is. uh and everyone will enjoy it. Uh it is. It is an actual play podcast focused on two player role playing experiences. If you have if you have ever heard a show called One Shot that is also very good, it is very similar to that except all of our games are two players. <laughs> Uh, and as of today's recording, it is th- six years old in one day. Oh. Dang. Goodness. Congratulations. Yeah, Goodness. Right? And of course, we have Drew Merzieski. Hello, everyone. I'm Drew Merzieski. Uh, I'm your host and narrator for uh, Skyjack's Courier's Call. And other than that, I don't do much. No, uh, that's not true. You <laughs> shut up. You stop. Don't you do that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Boys, we, we, we have it. We have a challenge before us now, uh, a challenge that originally we promised episodes of all my fantasy Skyjacks in connection to the Skyjacks Courier's Call Kickstarter. Now, this is a big challenge. It's a pie in the sky sort of challenge. But I would love to try and make whatever we record here able to be listened to by the Courier's Call audience. I don't know that we can... I don't know that we can do it. I don't know that we can do it, but we can say that we tried. We absolutely um, we can try. Because we, we try. We are. You know what? We are professionals. We're professionals. Mm, that's true of three. <laughs> that's true of three of the four of us on this call. But I'll give it my best. 
<laughs> okay. So it's time for us to to look at our chosen prompts that we have here. And the first one comes to us from Rio Reads, uh, and it is, How do people in Sphere feel about the moon? Is it evil because of its association with the sea and its effects on tides, or is it a separate thing for them? What tales do they have about it, whether it's associated with good, evil, both, or neither? I'm going to be honest, folks. I haven't put too much thought into the moon. Oh. I, I have an immediate pitch that can be shot down. Okay. But it is, right. a, it is something like the, that I... The caveat is I, what makes good. it so exciting. Ready to go. I, I just go. I've, say, I've got my cannons ready. <laughs> free, yeah, load up, load up the shotgun and take aim at this idea just in case. My muskets are clean. <laughs> I want to propose a sentient antagonistic moon. Like a okay. moon that is in the sky <laughs> and is um, out and is gunning for you. You Majora's Mask okay. 2021. Sure. Uh, uh. Jeff, I you know, you know, you know one of my least favorite things is saying no to people. All right, fair. So I'm gonna point out I, I'm gonna point out that I'm I'm not saying no right now, but also there's no way that can exist within the world of sphere. Uh, that magic is 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 too big. Um, but what I will allow, what what I will allow, is the idea that there is a culture that treats the moon as a sentient and antagonistic thing. Mm. Yes. So that's the, the I, you said that, Jeff, and I immediately got my my noodle cooking, meaning my brain, and <laughs> and. <laughs> Brain looks like a noodle. You know, it's my noodle. It's my pasta maker. You stretch out those little wrinkles. They're noodles, baby. Yeah. So when I was thinking of, like, in the prompt, it says it's association with the sea and its effect on the tides, you know, and all that fun stuff. I would like to posit that there are two ways of seeing it where it is some, this culture that we might be talking about or what have you, this myth is attached to either the moon is imposing upon the sea rather than working with it by giving it a push and a pull. Mm -hmm. Or it is working with it to create a tide that lets ships traverse over it, some kind of siren-esque luring them to their doom kind of feel. But the moon having a push and pull on the sea can be seen as either one. It can be seen as antagonistic mm -hmm. or beneficial, depending on how we twist it and turn it. So it can be a myth about a being that perhaps either challenges the sea by imposing its will mm. upon it or, you know, is working in tandem with the mariner, the sea. Now, I was going to segue immediately into the, the mariner as a concept with the idea that, like, with the sea brings drowned sailors, brings the mariner, brings all of that, all of the, of the ugliness that comes with the sea. So that the entity in the sky that pulls the sea and effectively... He effectively pulls it back in a Kamehameha and hurls it at you. Is I, I like that idea that like I like the idea that you're describing of like it is it is perhaps the the question that comes to mind immediately is it's beneficial, but it's beneficial to whom? And I would propose that the myth that comes with this is that the moon the moon is beneficial to the forces in the sea that make the sea too dangerous to trod, which is to say that the moon the moon is working in tandem but working in tandem with those that make it so that we can't travel via the sea and have to travel via the sky yeah th there are 
so there are a couple ways that I can see us reflecting this. I, I pulled up uh, the luminaries from campaign uh, just just to look through uh, which luminaries I could see uh, tying themselves to the moon. Uh, the one that jump out that there is the tide, which is literally the the thematic idea that conditions change and things change in natural cycles um you've got a high tide and you've got low tide um high tide being very dangerous and, and low tide being safer um th that you know there's a very obvious uh connection to the moon as as we do know that in our world moon causes tidal forces there's also the idea of the island which, you know, that is the luminary most connected to the mariner. And that one of the things that we know about the island is that if you are sailing on the sea in a boat and you see the island, you are likely not going to be able to escape it. If it is off in the distance and you cannot see land anywhere else, you can try and sail away from it, but it will never grow farther from you. Uh, and eventually you will be forced to land on the island where you are damned to uh, either sink and die or live out your remaining days as a cursed drowned sailor. Um, the idea that the moon, when it reflects on like dark water, can create like the illusion that there is a dark center at this bright spot in the water, like... I could see people like saying, oh, that that calls the island um, and whatnot. So the luminary wise, I feel like that's kind of what we're working with. The, the last thing I want to throw out there is I am willing to say that before the stars fell, there wasn't a moon. That's um, what I was going to ask. We, yeah, good, good, yeah. good. I'm sitting here just waiting I, my whoa. turn patiently like, hmm, yes. <laughs> it's that's a wild idea. I I don't know how to process it. I'm I'm trying to decide what that would mean, like metaphysically and cosmically. But I'm open to it. So I'm open I, to I, this. I idea. have a I have a thing that I want to throw out. The thing I want to propose, perhaps, uh, hearing you talk about both the way that this connects to the island and also the tide, I want to propose that this is that the the, the there's there's a there's a possibility that I think is very cool that kind of pulls on both of those maybe thematically and not literally, but like connects to those in interesting ways. What if the thing that we are building here is not necessarily a culture, but is like a place and is a, is a, a, a place, a, uh, not quite an Atlantis, but like a location that is revealed when the tide drops below a certain, like it is a, it is a, a lost thing that is revealed when the tide at a certain location at a certain place in time is low enough. You see the, the peaks of some ruined castle or a thing that is lost to the tide and thus, and like it, it only exposes itself on these moments of safety, but it but it becomes a reminder of, oh, safety is sort of an illusion because that thing in the sky is going to pull the waters up and is going to and so there is this ruined castle or island or something there is like a ruined thing that is washed away when the tide raises and like re-exposed and so you can visit it only when it is safe and the, with the constant threat that the water is going to rise up around you and bring with it all the terrors of the sea. So this does call to a thing that we're currently grappling with in, in Skyjack's lore that is a major part of our story in that we know that th there is the Mariner's Island, but in addition to the Mariner's Island, there is the island uh, where Oromar Vale was killed. 
but happens to be the same island where the sovereign was killed. Um, we know this because Oromar, you know, set up a, a special expedition to get to this island that is both hard to find and, you know, hard to exist there, uh, you know, for whatever reason. And part of me thought, like, oh, there's a duality in it being hard to find in that the Mariner's Island pulls you in, that this island might push you out. But the idea that this island is simply a thing that can be very easily hidden by the tide. Uh, so people have a lot of trouble looking for it. And even if they are able to land there, it's difficult that they'll f for them to find what they're looking for because we know Oromar went there to find the crown of the sovereign, uh, the literal crown of the being that was killed, uh, which is an incredible treasure. Um, this feels like a interesting thing for to be part of the equation um something that i want to step back and talk about is the idea that we are approaching this with our world's understanding of what the moon is and what it does right and <laughs> which is fun which i love to do which i love to also twist though to say what is the moon you know, in this case, we know that it's like a big chunk of potentially was the Earth at one point, you know, gravitates our world, has an effect because it's very large and has a pull on our world and has, you know, how physics work. However, if you can make it anything you want, I want you to really imagine yourself at night looking out at the ocean, which is a horrifying thing, faced filled with peril and monsters and like beings that wish nothing but harm on you. Imagine a giant glowing, you know, uh, orb in the sky where its light beams up the ocean, lights your way, and what and also would it's you sentient and it's coming to get you. Yeah, and also it has legs <laughs> yeah. and it's running this way. Get out of the way. It's got a big, gross face. Yes. Um, it's got arms and it's swimming I, in your direction. <laughs> I did remember that in uh, the. Uh, the the maiden and the heart. I established that the moon is somehow the property of the forest queen, okay. um, which I think is important to remember, um, because by the light of no wait, is it property of the forest queen? It is that the sovereign. No, no. Okay, so the moon reflects the sovereign's light. Like that is an established part of canon because. The sovereign's light cannot be seen by servants of the queen, which is why uh, the changeling was not able to see the maiden when he was hunting her. Um, but I do think I, I, I think it. Yeah, it's it's OK. I think it's the queen owns the sun. That's right, because it was associated with summer and the sovereign owns the moon. Um, so, yeah, like. It, it it is a, a former possession of a dead luminary. Oh God! I boy, I'm getting lost in the weeds here. <laughs> but either I way, I can't remember my own goddamn lore. But either way, there is a gigantic, small planet size up to us. How big is it, James? Is it our moon, basically? I I think that's a good benchmark okay. to start okay. with. <laughs> and just the idea of oh, maybe it's closer, so it's effect on tides is more i think dramatic. that's cool i think dramatic See, I, so I, think if, I think i think i like think you this. want a big moon that with big tides because i wanted to like kind of twist the idea of like this doesn't have to be our one-to-one -one where like you know yes it creates the tides but imagine on a full moon if it were much more dramatic in this setting where the tides 
like, you know, pl- different locales that are sunk beneath the waves. Lost ships from long ago are revealed because the tide is ripped in on a full moon and shoved out in a more dramatic fashion, perhaps. Now, okay, can I can I throw out can I throw out an uh, an idea about like can I throw out a thing about the moon that is weird and magical and but not overly magical? Great. Mm-hmm. What if the light of the moon? What if the light of the moon was not the reflect? Was was what if the light of the moon is localized, or for lack of a better way, like if like if it's I'm imagining like a a sort of celestial spotlight or something like that, like an idea of like the moon, this 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 thing of like the moon is close and the moon is big, and if the moon is full, like it's it's that you know you said it was a reflection of the sovereign's light. It's this idea that like. I, I picture finding that makes me think of finding things and like the moon's light having a role in like exposing things that were lost. And I think it kind of gives mm. this idea to to sailors and skyjacks of like, you know, because you and, and it ties into like what we think of as as sailing. But like in a skyjacks context, if it is if it is somehow larger and more celestial and like, you know, the, this idea that like you follow the light of the moon, bec- both because it is where this it is where it is safest because it is where it's brightest. But also because where the moon shines most brightly is where things may be exposed that were lost that that are no longer around. Interesting. Mm. I like that. that. Fascinating. Because you did say if if it is closer and it is bright as all get out, you know, that would mean that what flying at night in the above clouds, would that be like lit? Like you know what I mean? For like, it would be maybe be, yeah, especially if the clouds are so reflecting lit. back. Yeah, like it would it absolutely, would be, absolutely would be super lit. lit. But I mean, like it would be more akin to flying during not during the day to the same extent. But if it's bright, if it's reflecting the sovereign's light, like that's got to be a lot of light coming off that thing. I mean, Drew, you you know when we were staying with Pat, uh, I think it was like two a.m. when we were leaving his house one night, yeah. and we walked outside, and it was like brighter than it had been during the day. Yeah, because the snow was reflecting like the light of the clouds uh-huh. and whatnot. It, it was like, it was eerie. It was super eerie. And imagine imagine that's just like the effect of the moonlight in in a certain like in it, and like that that spotlight image like sticks to me of like. It's just like a region or like an area or like a spot in the world at a certain time. And like you can kind of in the way that you can track air currents and you can track the, the these things, you can track these water patterns. You can track this sort of like spotlight of the moon where things are just brightened. And also with that, like there's this magical undercurrent that comes with it of like of like maybe of like simply something that was thought to not be visible is visible in the light of this. In, or something that was thought to be lost to the ages is simply back. No, that's really interesting because that also um, – we do have a moon market. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. And the moon market – the thing about the moon market is that it connects places. Um, it connects three places into one at one place. Like it – we could say, like you were talking about it, like it can find basically these three places at mm-hmm. once. Uh, so I, the moon reveals hidden things, maybe? I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I, or, or the light of the moon can guide you towards hidden things. Like a lot of this feels like it does tie into star watching. Mm-hmm. The, the idea that if you have an understanding of the conditions of the world around you and the position of the stars, you will be able to navigate more clearly uh, and even to the point where it's almost like you can look into the future because you can use this to tell the weather, to tell how crops will do, to tell 
all kinds of number of things. I, I like the idea that somebody who is an adept star watcher would be able to know where the light of the moon was. And I think really importantly, know where the light of the moon is during the day. Mm. Uh, so like, yeah, and I, I definitely love the, the folktale-esque like idea that like, yeah, one town, it might be a full moon, but the next town over, it's a half moon. Um, and I do still love uh, keeping the moon with phases because that means that, you know, under a full moon, your area, more things can be revealed within that area, which is really and cool. And the, the opposite um, of that, which I think is also super fascinating and has a ton of potential on a new oh, moon. Oh yeah, more things can be on hidden. On a new moon, things it is easier. Things are things are lost. Things are not just hidden, but things can be intentionally hidden, but also things are just lost. Like the moments where things are lost to the sands of time, they are they fall under they fall under the new moon and it is easy if you have something to hide, whether it be a physical thing, a secret, a memory or anything in between, you wait for you wait for the moon's light to look away because that is when that is when it is easiest to find a place where no one will ever find it. And this imagery is really cool because if we're thinking of the literal moonlight is supernatural then, yes? If it is it is literally the reflection of the sovereign's light, James. Um so yeah, I actually have uh the uh text of the document pulled up so that I can figure out how all of this works. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, And it, it says, uh, it was not every night that the heart met the hunter, but it was most nights. Only on the new moon, when the dark truly settled in the queen's domain, could the hunter rest and hide. The moon belonged to the queen, but the stars belonged to the sovereign. His light fell only for his creations, and so only the hunter could see. Um, that the other component to this is I imply later on in the story that, uh, the, oh yeah, the, the heart, uh, followed scent through unyielding night and away from the reflection of silver groves, there was no light to guide him. Uh, so the silver grove tree is a wedding present given to the forest queen by the sovereign which is this beautiful uh, silver tree that grows typically in a ring that is one of uh the the sovereign's creations but it was given to the queen so the queen's like charge uh, the the queen's subject the changeling would be able to see based on the reflection of the sovereign starlight reflecting off of the silver groves uh, I I think, and this hasn't been established in canon, we can establish that the moon was either created or given to the queen by the sovereign. Um, and the moon in our world, we know, literally does reflect the light of the sun. Um, so I, I kind of like that, yeah, it being the queen's changes the quality of the light in some way. It makes me think um, of a gift of, not not that I'm in, uh, it makes me think of that it's sort of like a looking glass or a mirror that reflects something too, cre do you know how in a funhouse mirror, like a mirror bends light, essentially. And if we're talking mm -hmm. about kind of revealing, exposing, and potentially hiding in the darkness, I think of how a lighthouse kind of cuts through the night sky or how a bright flashlight slices through darkness to reveal it. Perhaps, this is me going on a big stretch here, if this is some sort of reflection of a supernatural light, I think of things as if, if you imagine the night as a, a desert, 
you know, like sands. If things can be hidden in sand, like a sandstorm comes on the new moon, covers everything up in shadow and sand uncovered. In this case, the light of the moon would therefore be able to be like pinpoint things within this sandstorm and expose it. Do you know what I'm saying? Kind of this roundabout way. Yeah. Is that what we're getting at? Or is this completely, because I'm thinking of the folklore way of like, you know, on a full moon, if you go looking for things, you're more likely to find them because the world's secrets are uncovered by the reflection of this light pouring onto the world. There's nothing hide and shadow anymore. That's the, that's what I'm, that's where I'm at as well. That's what I'm thinking of as well. And I love the, the kind of, uh, the kind of visual that pops into my head. And this is sort of the um, this is sort of the the silly the silly visual with a with a root like uh, the the serious take on a sillyish visual of like the idea almost what I'm the visual that I almost get is like video game style indicator markers like <laughs> like like a, like imagine like a Sims thing just pops up on a space of land on a on a patch of dirt and you're like well something is there. But, like, that idea that there is, like, something about this light that, like, if something is hidden and someone is searching for it, there's, like, a, a sparkle or a, a, a gleam of a plant or something that, like, glows in the night. That it's on very, the night of a full moon you go, oh, that's something that I should be looking for. It's very akin to the yeah. pot of gold in the rainbow with a leprechaun. Yeah. Or, mm. like, at the end Ooh. of the moonbeam is, like, because... You know, uh, oh, a moon, it, the moonbeam, yeah, the end of a moonbeam is, a thing, is the, a thing that has been hidden. It's been exposed because it's if if this is a deity's possession, you know what I mean. Literally going here, and it's reflecting some kind of supernatural light onto something clearly that's important that needs to be seen by the denizens who are on this planet, who are living. And, and th- there's there's another wrinkle to this. This could also play a little bit into Will of the Whisper, oh. in that you know there are mysterious lights that show up in forests that like. You know, uh, Irish myth, like, say, they lure people uh, astray and off their path. The idea is that, like, if you see something that is waiting to be fined, it will appear to you as a light. Like, yeah, that that makes sense. That, that makes sense. Like, jives. Like, I can see that working and I can see that being contextual to the person. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. if there are things that want to be fi- found, maybe they are things that want to be found by specific people or something like that. But then you also have this because this is the queen's possession. She can take advantage of this yes. to lure people into the forest and stuff. That's what makes makes it so fun is that involves the forest queen and this idea of control and chaos and you know allure and if this that's the person behind the wheel potentially the levels of you know as the levels of interpretation of lumens are varied so can this idea of like a have you ever seen when this when the moon like beams through a cloud and you literally see a beam of moonlight through like during like a super moon or something that can either mm-hmm. be seen as a place to stay away from because it's like, nope, the, the queen is maybe like, maybe the queen is exposing a secret or luring someone. And either way, I stay away from those. Or it can be seen like the rainbow and the pot of gold by some who's like, oh my goodness, clearly some truth that I've been seeking is at the bottom of this beam. And also there's, I really love the will of the wisp idea of like, of like the idea that like that that folklore legend of I was walking I was walking on a path and I saw like a light 
you know, I saw a light that was seemingly beaming from nowhere and a thing suddenly was, and like a section of the, of the wood was glowing. So I walked into this bog and like this glowing thing, like I saw this and like found some, and you know, it's the story of how I found this ring that I wear on my finger. It's the story of how, it's the story of how I found that, how I found that the mayor had been, you know, committing acts of treason and burying pots of gold in the wood like it is it is this story that comes with this revelation of like i saw a thing glowing and like i walked towards it and suddenly i was exposed to this thing and you know it's it, it's the it's also the willingness to say i am going into walking in i am going into walking in uh to find this thing because i know that there is something waiting to be found by me and obviously it is presenting itself to me can be a sign of, of death and can be a sign of true revelation. Yeah, yeah. And Drew, I have so a there's, oh, Sorry, go ahead, James. Oh, go ahead. I have a question for Drew. Sure. Because if we're talking, we've been talking about, you know, our understanding of this refraction of light upon this, you know, uh, cosmic sphere that beams down onto the earth and blah, blah, blah. There's folklore around that. What does that mean for those in the sky? You know, what is the folklore around that then? You know, what is your first impulse when it comes to... Because you'd be... You'd have a bird's eye view of these beams or a completely different point of view where you don't even see these, you know, rainbows to chase, essentially. What is the folklore around the magical refraction of light from a deity, for lack of a better term, against this mysterious sphere that shines light down onto the planet at night. Like, what is something about that being in the clouds? I honestly don't think you can see it in the clouds. Oh. Uh, I think that once you get to an altitude, the moon disappears. Oh! That it's, it's, not, it's oh. not there anymore because the moon is only for yes. the people on the ground. Okay. Um, it's only, it's like, that's the pact. The pact is for people who are on the ground can see the moon. And if you are in the sky, you cannot see the moon that's anymore. That's so good. I'm sorry, True, but that's a banger. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> so is the is the moonlight still around? I don't, maybe it's ambient. Like we saw when we came I, out of, out of packs. Like I it's kinda, just brighter. But the, I, the thing, the visual that I get, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 go for it, go for it. The visual that I get, I, I really jive with that that ambient light idea because the visual that you both threw out was walking in the snow and, like, having also walked in the snow and seeing, like, street lights make... Imagine you are in a skyship, right? Imagine you are... Imagine you are flying. The ground beneath you... It, like, the clouds beneath you are snow. There is snow on the ground beneath you. And, like, we've all seen snow... Like, street lights illuminated in the snow. Moonlight illuminated in the snow. All you have are these brightly glowing clouds beneath you that fills the air with this visible sense, and that is an incredible. It is it is an incredibly disorienting thing, and it is an incredibly beautiful thing all at once. That I think is really is really like it's a really cool effect to to be in this place that that feels like it should be it should be pitch dark, but is glowing with this sort of ambient light. Is sort of an amazing and beautiful visual. Mm. Yeah, and especially because of its connection to the forest queen, the idea that the moon is a thing of beauty that exists for people on the ground, because in a lot of ways, the ground is the forest queen's domain. It might not exist on the sea. Um, or if it does, it's like really contextual, which is why if you are looking for an island that is hidden by the tides and can only be revealed by the moon's light and you can't stand on the ground to see where the moon is, 
that makes it really difficult f- to find that place. That's really, really cool. It is. A f- and oh. I like that a lot. That is fascinating. It also means if you take enough altitude in a skyship, if you go high enough, you might actually be able to see like the effect or the pattern of moonlight across sphere. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, which would be extremely risky, and I don't even know how you could have a vessel to do it. But I can guarantee you that someone is trying. Maybe, maybe the folks over at the Ching Map Company are, are doing that I, because. Ooh. Now I have a big question. The big second half of the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if this if this is the moon that we have established, and James, you had said it might not be visible on the sea. Does that hurt? Does does. Does the fight for the moon's light over the sea have something to do? Like, does tides have something to do with the moon's light being pulled towards or closer or further from the sea? Do you know what I mean? Like that idea of like, if you, you mentioned like being not able to see the moon on the sky, does that feels like that feels like there's a connection there that I can't quite put into words, but it feels like there's a, there's a juicy possibility for connection between that sense of. The moon might not be visible to the sea, and also there are tides which in our world are caused by the moon. There's a cool potential for some kind of connection there. Can I yeah. tag team question that, please? No. Because you if, – if, no, I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> um, because if the – the moon is a thing for those on land, yes? Yes. And it's, uh, yes. And it's, yeah. Perhaps it is not visible when you're on the sea because you're not on land. Is – Therefore, the tide itself, the motion of the ocean, is that some sort of conflict between the land and the sea? You know what I mean? I yeah. There, there's a lot at play here. <laughs> I, I think a thing that I want to establish because I think it's cool is the idea that well, the moon isn't visible in the sky on the sea. Moon, the moon's reflection might be, okay. which I think is neat. That is cool. Neat. Um, uh, and we're getting to the idea of a metaphysical conflict or cycle at the point of horizon is kind of what I feel like, mm-hmm. where the land meets the sky and the sea meets the sky. Mm-hmm. There is some kind of push and pull. Um, I I do like that. And I, I like maybe the moon being tied up in it, but I don't know. Maybe. I don't know what thread maybe is. Maybe no doing one knows. It. Like maybe that maybe mm-hmm. maybe that is simply a thing that has been maybe that is a thing that has been observed and studied and that we simply don't. You know what I mean? Like it is I cuz like this feels like cheating a little bit. But I'm going <laughs> to but I'm going to cheat to say Go that ahead. like I think and I'm I'm being presumptuous by saying I'm I'm speaking by speaking for what I think all four of us are feeling but like there's a feeling of like that feeling of there's something there, that feeling of, of not knowing what it is, but knowing that there's something there is so juicy to me and so compelling to me that maybe that's what maybe that's what people across fear feel is being like there. There's a connection and I don't know what it is, but it's something I I, I, I feel like it, it comes back to star watching because like one of the underlying principles in star watching is that everything in some way is connected that if you know and understand enough about everything, then you can get the information that you need to know and learn everything. 
you know, if you know the position of the stars, you can find a way to the place that you're going. If you know the position of the stars and the condition of your environment, you can tell what season is going to be, even when they flow randomly. You can tell things like weather and whatnot. I've also established that there are many different star watching traditions. There are, you know, philosophers or practitioners of star watching that have existed for a very long time and are followed by different, you know, people. Like I, they're, they're, I, I wrote in our magic document, which I don't know is out there, or maybe it was in the Skyjacks document, that like there are literal manuals written by historical figures within the world that explain their approach to star watching and how you can follow their approach and find success. But a lot of people find success in blending those approaches, even if they're not necessarily compatible. The idea that like you can put information into equations and get a result is like one of the paths of star watching. Um, and there's like there are other approaches to it. I like the idea that most star watchers, most advanced or practiced or like, you know, innovating star watchers are trying to explain this connection, trying to explain this phenomenon. And they each have a different proposal and we, we can't prove which one is right. It, it, it's sort of the way you talked about it, Jeff, made me think about like Einstein's desire for unification theory and like never, never quite getting mm -hmm. there, knowing that like there has to be something that explains everything and not being able to find it. Oh, it's very I think cool. That's, I think that is. And I think that is also a juicy, a juicy kind of metaphor that is like handed about in folktales, maybe among like that is handed out in folktales is like. You know, you're you're chasing you're chasing the bridge between between land, sea, sky, and moon, right? Like it's the it's mm -hmm. that it's that uh it's that 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 a thing that is said when someone is obsessing over something that they're not going to find the definite that they're not going to like it's it's that it's you're chasing the horizon, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that feeling of like it is the ultimate pursual of a folly act is is fine is trying to truly find the connection between these things even though we all feel like there's one there can i make a pitch for one a fun one i just had an idea yes. of like a random folklore or story because Please. I, I think of in sphere there is kind of a clash between beings of land and sea you know and so sky was the way to kind of the th sky is the kind of thing that lets you circumnavigate it. So in this in this battle where land meets sea, there's always been one unifying factor, and it's the one that's the moon that judges. Not it's the moon that kind of rises above everything and exposes both of the secrets and lies and truths and joys of both of these worlds. Whether or not on the sea it's ambient, but and on the land it's more bright and pronounced. Still, there seems to be, I would get the perspective if I were in this world, that the unifying factor is this watching, this watchful glowing orb that provides something to both of these worlds, you know, and my brain would start to churn of like, well, if on the land, you know, it's the kingdom of the four, if it's the kingdom of the forest queen and beams of light can lure you and beams of light can expose secrets and truths and treasures but on the sea, it's ambient, and, you know, an island would therefore be the queen's domain again, James. Would it or no? Like, an island, uh, is that land uh, or no? <laughs> it, it's land, but, like, also, is it forested yeah. is a okay. question. Okay, okay. You know? 
But kind of, I would think about the unifying factor in all the things that we've been discussing and stuff is the moon is there and it, it affects both of these two worlds, for lack of a better term. And so I would always just think about if I were a being of sphere, what it is and how it unifies these two worlds. And that's, it's just something I wanted to posit in terms of interpretation of what the moon is to a person who just kind of has to exist in this world where the forest presents dangers, you know, the sea presents dangers, the sky is the way that we've been able to kind of avoid certain troubles and dangers and perils. But also at the center of it is when the night falls, this orb appears that, you know, has an effect on our world. And what the heck is it? That's all. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, I, there's, I have, that. that's great. And I feel like we are in a really good place with this where we have a more robust explanation, but also there is a lot of mystery mm -hmm. tied into mm -hmm. that explanation, mm -hmm. which feels very folklore. And I like a lot. There is a late game because we're closing up on, on the time that we would need to move on to our next subject. Uh, the late game pitch that I want to talk through just a little bit in uh, metallurgy and, and folklore surrounding metallur metallurgy, there is a connection between the moon and silver. Uh, that's one of the proposed reasons that silver bullets are harmful to werewolves is they've got some kind of connection to the moon. What what do we think that might be like on Sphere? Do we still I st I love the idea of silver still being connected to the moon. Um so oh, I, I just kind of yeah. want to play around with that. Uh, silver's how you travel on moonlight. Go on. Uh, expand on that. Uh in the, in the se in the sense of uh let us say No, no, we're done. I'm, I'm That's it. Done. No more. No more. Uh no, I think about the moon market. Uh and how the moon market is one place is three places in one. And mm -hmm. and how it could be that they built the moon market there because there's a like a deposit of silver there. And the idea that places of silver connect moonlight. That is um, sick. That and is sick. so if you wanted to, you could make something of silver and travel on it on moonlight. Uh, maybe, possibly, I don't could, know. Folklore. Could, okay, could but I, that, that, I... oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I have a I have an alternate I have another kind of folkloric take on silver if I if, to throw out go for it with our powers combined silver once upon a time like in its earliest iteration if I remember correctly was used for mirrors like mm. silver was mm -hmm. an early mirror moonlight exposed it was actually an advanced mirror uh, it, it's sort of like the foundation of modern mirror technology and is, moonlight is and moonlight is exposes secrets if if silver is a thing that is believed to ca catch the moonlight, no, whether regardless of time of day, if you look into silver, if you look into a piece of silver and you, you hold it up and you look at a thing behind you, th that, that idea, the, the, the folkloric idea that may be true or may not, that you can catch the moonlight and see the things that are hidden behind you, even if they, even if, if it is the daytime, even if you are not where the moon is brightest, even if you are not in the full moon, you hold up that silver things are are seen in it that that presents and like things that are missing can be found if you look if you look into the silver of a of a mirror or a plate of silver or a silver object has this connection to finding things i like everything about what we've talked about here like I, I i love the idea that yeah there is a way to make a looking glass that allows you to see more of the truth that might be normally hidden to you I, there's also there's something in the idea that a looking glass um uh 
shows you a more perfect reflection mm. of moonlight. Ooh, um, yeah. But it's also you're seeing the reflection of moonlight. So it might be changed or distorted, even if it's more clear, which I think is fun. Um, there's also... I love the idea that the moon market works because there are silver deposits in the earth, uh, which means that there is an extremely compelling reason for people to not mine out those silver deposits because the silver deposits being there is what makes this place special. Uh, that really fits in with like an anti-colonial idea of, hey, you don't fuck with places that you go to. Yeah. It's not yeah. the silver's not just there for you to take all of the value out of the earth. The silver's there to be because it's part of a beautiful thing that exists within the world and makes this cool event possible. Um, so that. That all extremely rules, and I just wanted to say that it rules. Aaron, Aaron, I believe, also had a thing. Yeah, it. but based on what Jeff and Drew said, it makes me think that perhaps in this world, the link between the moon and silver is that what you both described was silver creating some sort of bridge or a conduit to the metaphysical, to what we can't see, to the magical you know, mm. it, it, in the way that in our world, some people believe that crystals have a certain frequency, that there are metals that have effects perhaps silver is best known to connect with magic or be some kind of vehicle or conductor for these things and so it's seen as a precious metal not because of it being pretty and things like that because of its kind of for lack of a better term for you to break down magic like reality bending effects maybe Mm, yeah and I does do it like have that. that because that's simply a good story yeah. and easy to believe does it have that because it silver is you know of the earth and part of the bones of the earth and therefore has like its own properties who knows no. what what we do know is that it works yeah. and there's truth to it now i've got one other piece of silver folklore thinking about mirrors briefly go for it another i was i was describing mirrors i was describing looking at mirrors and i was thinking about folklore there's a very obvious point of folklore involving mirrors that I want to bring up in, a, in an interesting folkloric way. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. There is a very iconic, uh, there's a very iconic supernatural presence that interacts with mirrors in a very specific way, which is you can't see a vampire in a mirror. So the mm -hmm. idea, so perhaps there is a folklore idea that things that things that that if you hold up a mirror and you don't see something reflected it is not you know it is not reflected and something is not reflected in the moonlight like something is invisible in the mirror if i hold it up and the person and and a thing behind me does not appear well then that thing is not that thing is not part of the pact with the forest queen that is something that is something pulled from the sea that is perhaps something tied to and this is this is like I said, this is something tied to outside of the pact of the forest queen. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, I think part of it could be that it is reflecting a being with spiritual existence, mm -hmm. because I like the idea that, you know, early on in our campaign, you might not have been able to see Oromar in a true silver looking glass uh, because his soul wasn't in his body. But now his soul is in there. Uh, so you probably would be That's able cool. to see That's him cool. in a mirror. Cool. Uh, but it also means like drowned sailors are like they're alive, but not really alive. I really like the idea that, yeah, the mariner and his forces wouldn't be able to be reflected it's, in, in the vampire a, mirror in, thing is a thing that I think mirror. is cool. And it shows up on what we do in the shadows a lot. So it was on my brain. <laughs> It's very Pirates of the yeah, Caribbean uh, with those uh, with the moonlight affecting the skeleton sailors. Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. That's hey, 
That's what we're about. We, we, we're aiming for that Pirates of the Caribbean energy. Uh, folks, I think with that statement, we have made a lot of progress vis-a-vis the moon. Uh, the moon has a lot more oomph, a lot more narrative to it. And and I thank you all. Uh, we, we are going to move on to our next prompt. Dang. And I hope our listeners enjoyed this exploration of the moon. Our friend, the moon. Health to the strangers who've ever been kind. And once for our friends near to rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind Who know we can never deny The call of the sky We, we gotta do the regular All My Fantasy Skyjacks intro uh, So I think that starts with Aaron and Jeff actually Oh yeah, Does did it? we start oh, with hey? Drew, we do need to tell Drew what to do Yeah, I don't know So <laughs> Um, you are going like they're going to do the normal All My Fantasy Children introduction. I, I think you're very quickly going to catch on what that is. Okay. And yeah, you'll, be, you will, you'll be fourth. You will add, you'll be fourth in line. So just follow what James does and you'll be fine. I, no, I, I'm going to go with fourth in line okay. uh, because mine is different than everybody then, else's. Ooh, so Drew, I'll be third. Drew, I'll do we it. just we're testing your improv skills. So here. Cool. yeah, we're, we're we'll do we a thing. We'll do a thing, and you can you can say you can say you can fill in the 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 third word with whatever you like. But we're going to okay. say three mm-hmm. words once. We once Aaron and I cue each other up. Three words. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. Yeah. How two excited words. are You're you right. to, two to? There's two words. <laughs> How excited are you to start with a, a riddle? I know. It's gonna be great. An enigma. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com.